0: We're in our third in our series now, looking at the church, and we're going to be continuing that for a little while. And as we're going through this, I just want to summarize what we've seen so far. We've seen that the church is those people who've been called out. It's not the building, as we've just heard. It's those who've been called out. It's assembly. It's a body of God's people. Sometimes it's been in God's word as a state, citizenship, as a family. We are a family that's brought together, a temple, the dwelling place of God. And being part of the church is not about us, it's about God, and it's about God's glory. And then as we looked at this, we saw some, some illustrations from this passage in Ephesians where we are again today, And and the first illustration that we looked at was the chief cornerstone, the cornerstone. We realize that the church belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the founder of the church. Jesus is the owner of the church. It is his church, and it's his church because he died for the sins of his people. He died to redeem his people, to make them his family, to enable them to be his citizens, to enable them to be the temple of the the Holy Spirit, the temple of God himself. And then as we moved on from that thought, we looked at the foundation. And, And last week we were looking at this foundation. In verse 20 it talks about the foundation of the church is built on the apostles and the prophets. So effectively we realized last week that is the Bible. The Bible is where we get the foundation. Christ is at the center, and the foundation that the church is built on is the teaching we receive from God through his word. And that word came to us through the apostles and the prophets. And we saw that foundation is essential because if we take that foundation away, we saw six different examples of where it can go wrong last week. We saw that there is the the, the prosperity gospel, putting finances and money first, seed faith Having transactions, thinking that we can we can deal a deal with God and by giving him something, he has to give us something back. Spiritual coverings, cheap grace. Thinking in ourselves, well, we've, we've been saved, so it doesn't matter what we do. We can carry on sinning. It's not a problem at all. And then we saw that there's uh, words of faith, thinking that having faith in our faith is good enough and thinking that faith in our words and our thoughts will make things happen. And then selling of objects, anointed objects, oil and water and handkerchiefs and different things. And we saw there's lots of ways that it can go wrong. And it goes wrong when the Bible is pushed out. It goes wrong when Jesus is pushed out. It goes wrong when a person takes the place of Jesus or a person prescribes himself as as an apostle or a prophet and overrides God's Word. And so to get it right, we saw last week we need to hold fast to the foundation, to hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ, to hold fast to his word. Uh, and the challenge was for ourselves personally last week is God's word at the centre of your life? Is God's word at the centre of Lefkosha Protestant Church? And so now I want us to, to, to move on from this. Uh, and essentially, we're now coming to the, the part of the church which involves you and I. We've had to build this foundation. that, that we, 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 It goes wrong when we don't. And, and so we had to see Christ at the center, and I trust that that's in our minds, and we can see that. I trust from last week we can see that the teaching of the apostles and the prophets is what the foundation is built on, and I trust that we're holding fast to that. But now it comes to us. It comes to us. And there's a picture here of us being built, verse 21, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord or well, right around the world, construction uses bricks now, of course, in Cyprus, that they put up uh, columns with concrete, but they fill the gaps in with bricks, but in the u k if you go to Uh, lots of housing areas, not when there's big, tall skyscrapers, but certainly uh, villas and bungalows and just normal dwellings, they won't have concrete frames. They're just totally put together with bricks on a foundation. So there's a foundation, and then the house is built on stone or bricks all around that. And I know that... uh, Many of you from, from Nigeria are familiar with that. You, you, you'll see around about in, in the villages uh, buildings that have been put together with bricks. And, and the bricks are there all put together. And, and so the picture language that I want us to think about this morning is that as members of the church, we are bricks. Now that might not sound very glamorous. That might not sound very exciting. And it is and it isn't as we, we explore this. Through it here. So we're looking at the bricks. We see that in verses 19 through to verse 21 into 22. But if you just look at a cross reference, this the apostle Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. He talks about the Christians he's writing to and he says, You yourselves are like living stones and are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to look at the, the second part of that, a priesthood, spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable. That's part of our church life, which we'll see later. But it's just concentrating now on that fact that the church, the body of God's people, we are living stones. We are these bricks and we are put together and we are being built up into the church. Now, I don't know if you've seen bricks being made. Uh, In England, where we used to live, there's a, a walk and it goes through the old brickyard And the brickyard doesn't look like anything's happening there. All there is is lots and lots of mud. Uh, And when it rains, this mud, this clay, becomes very, very sloppy and and, and pliable, and you can move it around. And what used to happen in in, in the olden days, way, way back, when the brick kiln was working there, the men would collect that clay, uh, and it was wet, and it was sloppy, it was just sort of mud, and, and then they would shape it into the brick shape, the little oblong square, or the oblong, should I say. Uh, and, and they were all a uniform size. They all were the, the same size. And then they would put them into a fire. Uh, and, and, and as they came through the fire, they would dry out and they would be transformed into a hard brick. And, and that brick was used. Uh, in, in cyprus in, in by bygone years they they made bricks and straw and and they did a similar thing they They would get some uh, some of the mud they possibly didn 't have the clay that that 's there, but they got mud they got straw, they mixed it together, they made it wet and sloppy, and then they put it into the the right shape and and they would wait in the sunshine in England. we need a fire, but here this is a sunshine the sun 's so hot it bakes that brick into something that 's solid and something that can be used for the building. Any brick to be used in a building, it has to be transformed. It can't just stay wet, sloppy mud. You can't make a house with wet, sloppy mud. You can't make a house with wet clay. You need that wet clay, that wet, sloppy mud, to be transformed into a brick. And and so as we look at this passage, I just want us to see, uh, under the title, Bricks, Us, as part of the church, our past. Our past. Now, as we look around this room, we, we can see that we are all from different backgrounds. We've got different nationalities. We have, within nationalities, different tribes. We've got lots of different languages. We come from different cultures. But the reality is, in one sense, we all come from the same place. And in this same place is nobody starts their life as part of God's church. Nobody starts their part of life as God's church. You are not born a Christian. And I want to underline this because some of you have come from a a cultural setting where there's a Muslim background. And we live here in, in Cyprus, which has a Muslim background and a Muslim culture. And if someone's born here into a Turkish Cypriot family, the moment they're born, on their birth certificate and on their registration, they're given the religion of being a Muslim because that's what they are born. But when you are born... Nobody is born a Christian. You might be born into a family, and your mom and dad may be Christians, and your grandparents may be Christians, and your great great grandparents may have been Christians, but you are not born a Christian. You may think, well, I've been born into a Christian country. Well, well, praise God if that has been the fact. And what is a Christian country? Well, it's nothing more than a country that's had a Christian influence upon it. My being English doesn't make me a Christian. Your being Nigerian or Liberian or Cameroonian or wherever it is doesn't make you a Christian. You see, this passage tells us that the the Christians in that church in Ephesus had not always been Christians. In verse 19 it says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. It's talking about citizenship in Christ. It's talking about being part of the family. And he's saying you didn't always used to be part of the family. You you used to be strangers. Strangers. You used to be foreigners. And everyone starts this life as a stranger and a foreigner to God. You may be blessed with Christian parents. You may be blessed with a Christian home. You may be blessed to live in a land where Christianity is there as part of the culture. But everybody, no matter who they are, We are born into this world as a stranger and a foreigner to God. And so the brick is there, and it's hard, and it's shaped, and it's formed. It didn't start like that. It needed to be transformed. And if you're to become part of God's true church... You need to be transformed. The, the psalmist David put it like this in, in, in Psalm 51 and verse 5, he says, behold, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin, my mother conceived me. Right from the moment of life coming into him in his mother's womb, the psalmist was saying, I was a sinner from that moment. I was a stranger. I was a foreigner to God. And that is the testimony of each and every one of us. Each and every one of us, no matter where we come from or what our culture is, we all have this in common. We all are born to this world as sinners. Now, a lot of people don't like this teaching. A lot of people quite get upset by it. But in fact, if you look at it and think about it, it explains so much. It explains why this world is in such a mess. We watch the news and it's full of of suffering and heartache and pain. And, and, And social media is full of difficulties and challenges. And I'm, I'm not sure that you've had it where Facebook in its wisdom has have, have, have covered the picture. It says, This is graphic content. Don't, don't, don't look at this. It's something that's been violent, something that's been shameful, something that's been wrong. And our world is full of violence. It's full of shameful acts. It's full of hurt. It's full of pain. There's children around the world suffering because they are starving hungry. There's oppressive regimes around the world. And the reality is we shouldn't be surprised by this because everybody in this world starts their life in sin. And unless they are transformed, they continue in that way. And that sin is rebellion against God. And, and that rebellion against God means that this world is messed up. If we just took the Ten Commandments... If we just took the last five Ten Commandments and said, okay, everyone live by them, this world would be a different place. God knows what we need, and yet we decide not to do that. And so we covet and we steal and we cheat and adultery and murder happens. And this world is messed up. God didn't make a messed up world. God made a perfect world. He made a world that... We can see something of that at times here in Cyprus, and in Africa, and back in the UK. When you get out into nature... And you look out, and you see the scenery. You see a sunset. You see a sunrise. You see a mountain range. You see an intricacy of a bird or an insect. You see an animal. You take—it's breathtaking. You think, "Wow, this is what our Creator did." And you see something of this. But the reality is, right at the very, very beginning, it was perfect. There was no sin. There was no pain. There was no mess. Adam and Eve had perfect free will. They could make their own mind up. They had the ability to choose whether to continue doing good or whether they wanted to go their own way. And even though there was just one rule, they chose to rebel against God. They chose to disobey. And Paul explains that is our default status as strangers and foreigners. In in this way, he said in in Romans 5, the passage we read earlier, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Or a little earlier in the book of Romans, a very well-known verse in Romans 3.23, you probably know this already, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or the Old Testament prophet Isaiah in in chapter 64, verse 6, put it like this. We've all become as one that is unclean and our righteousness, our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. The very best that you can do, the most righteous act that you can do when it's put before God is like a filthy Polluted garment. All the suffering we see in this world is as a result of the fall and sin. And it's seen ultimately in death. Everyone has sinned. And maybe you think to yourself if I had been Adam, I would have done differently. Well, you weren't. But I don't think, if I was honest, that I would have done differently. I don't know. But what we do know is Adam sinned. And everyone since Adam is born in sin. And this is the mess that we are in. And now every opportunity we have the bias is for us to rebel against God. And yes, sometimes with effort we can do good things and, and there are people in this world who do good things and do kind things. But ultimately, no one's perfect. Everyone has gone their own way and that sin separates us from God and it has to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with. Earlier in chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul reminds us of the mess that we're in. Verse 1 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Our sins and trespasses, they make us dead. Well, how are we dead? You're alive, you're living. How can you be dead? Well, it's spiritually dead. And why are we spiritually dead? Well, these people were once spiritually dead in Ephesus. This church, these people because they once walked following the course of this world. Everyone has sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and although we're physically alive, we are born, physically, we're born spiritually dead, and we're following the course of this world, and that is pleasing yourself. If you like, that is the brick before it's made a brick. That is the mud. That is the clay. That is a formless mess that is of no value at all in itself. But secondly, what we see in this passage is our transformation. Verse 19. The wonder of the church is that mankind doesn't have to stay as a stranger and a foreigner to God. That's where we start. The, 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 the passage here in verse 19 says to these Ephesians, now therefore you are no longer... No longer strangers and foreigners. These people who are part of the church, they are no longer strangers and foreigners. That's what they were. There's a transformation. There's a a but that comes in here. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. How did this change from strangers and foreigners come to be fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God? How did this change happen? How do people change directions from... For being citizens of this world and pleasing themselves and doing things their own way, how do they change to becoming citizens and saints and members of the household of God? How does that change come about? Well, that change comes about because God is rich in grace and mercy. Mercy is getting what we don't deserve. Our sins deserve God's wrath and judgment. Our sins deserve an eternal death, an eternal punishment, an eternal wrath of God being poured out upon us. But mercy says you're not going to get that. Grace says what you will get is what you don't deserve. God gives his love. And how does God show his love to this world, to these sin-ridden, these strangers and these foreigners? He shows it by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ came to this world so that God could deliver mercy and God could deliver grace. It would be unjust for God just to turn around and say to you, I forgive you. Because that means sin doesn't matter. What God does is that he takes your sin and he lays it upon Jesus. And Jesus takes the punishment you deserve. And you have forgiveness because the punishment has been borne by Christ. Paul put it like this from the passage we read earlier in Romans 5 and 17. If because of one's trespasses, death reigns, that's Adam, death reigns, sin is there, we've all sinned. He said, through that one man will much more of those receive abundance of grace. The free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man. Jesus Christ. Jesus came and did what Adam could not do. Jesus came and did what we cannot do. We cannot live a perfect life. Adam sinned and fell short of the glory of God and every human since then has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet when Jesus Christ came to this world, he came as man and God. And in his manhood, Christ Jesus never sinned. There was no sin. there was plenty of temptation. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be tempted beyond what you and I know what is to be tempted. You and I might think, "Oh, if Jesus had my temptation to sinned, he wouldn't. The temptation that Jesus had was far greater than yours. And even though he had greater temptation than yours, he did not sin. And you may think to yourself, well, he didn't have the internet then. He didn't have pornography on tap. He didn't have uh, all the alcohol and all the drugs and all the things that we are tempted with. The devil was the same. The temptations were real. God's word tells us that he was tempted in every point as we are. But he didn't ever sin. And so when Jesus gave up his life, that's what he was doing. He was giving up his life. Your life and my life will be taken from us because the wages of sin is death. And as humans, we will die. And Jesus, as a human being, because he had never sinned, death was not for him, but he took death upon himself. And as he took death upon himself, God put the sins of his people on Christ. And the wrath and the punishment that the sins of his people, the sins of his church deserve were placed upon Christ and Christ was atoning for. Christ was paying the price for. Christ was paying the ransom. When when someone is kidnapped, what do you have to do? You have to pay the ransom price to get them back, don't you? There's that transaction that happens. For for, for God to be able to show us grace and mercy, the wrath of God has to be delivered on sin. and We can't bear it. But Christ bore it for us. And this is the transformation process. Jesus did not deserve to die. But he ransomed his people that are becoming his church. Verse 22 says, In whom the building being joined together grows into the temple of the Lord. You can only be a part of the church if you've been transformed. You can only be a part of the true church today is if you've been changed from that filthy, messy pile of mud into a brick that can become part of God's temple. You can only be a part of the church if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. A transformation needs to happen and God's people are the bricks that God uses to build his church. And that's an amazing privilege. If if you think about it here today, those of you that know the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, you've been transformed And transformed for what? So that you can be God's dwelling place. So that you can be a child of his. So that you can be brought into his family. If you're truly trusting your salvation, God is going to use you as part of his church. That's his plan and his purpose for you. And so we've seen that there is our past. We've seen that there is our transformation. But I want to just put something to you now that there can be fake bricks. We hear a lot about fake news, don't we? We all understand what fake news is. It's not real. A fake is something that pretends to be something that isn't. Maybe some of you have got a very sparkling, expensive looking watch. And in reality, it's not quite as expensive as it looks. It's a fake. Maybe the Lacoste badge on your T-shirt you're wearing looks like a Lacoste badge, but maybe it is a fake. We all know what fake means. And and there can be fake bricks. There can be fake Christians. And and this is a really, really serious thing because there can be people possibly here today or possibly online listening, and, and they may think that they are Christians. But they are not real Christians. A false building. There are some people that believe that attending a church service makes them a member of the church. It makes them a member of a congregation. It makes them a member of a body of people. But attending church doesn't make you a Christian. For some people, believing that giving to the church, giving to the church because God will bless them and giving to the church because that will make them right with God is is, is a false building. Sometimes people think, well, actually, if I, if I serve within the church life, I've got a lovely voice. I'll sw- sing in the choir. That will make me a Christian. I, I will come and I will do, I will do the cleaning. I will clean the toilets. I will, I will make myself right with God by what I do. That's a false building. People who want to make themselves right with God. Maybe you've got a, a list of things you're ticking off. I read my Bible today. Tick. I prayed today. Tick. I smiled at my neighbor. Tick. I'm going to invite a Turkish person to the service. Tick. And there's a list of things that you're ticking off and you're thinking, if I tick these things off, I am a Christian. You are not. The only way to be a Christian is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way to be a Christian is to realize that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only way to be a Christian is to realize that you're that, like that pile of filthy mud and there's nothing you can make other than trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for you. There are fake bricks because they're building on the false thing. There's no building. Uh, another real problem with the church today is that people are not willing to be built together. For one reason, other people feel that they don't need to be part of the local church. Now, I've already said that that, and we'll be careful here that it's not by coming here that makes you a Christian. But if you are a Christian, you should want to be with God's people. I was, I was reading a survey. Uh, someone had done some research post-COVID or semi-post-COVID. And, and, and they were saying that attendance in church in America, they reckon, is going to reduce by 20 to 25% after COVID. of people are just not going to bother coming along again. They've got used to doing church at home. They've got used to being by themselves. They've got used to doing their own thing on Sunday. They have no interest of being together. You see, it's only when we are being together that we can be built up to grow into the holy temple that is the Lord's. Little Zion was round our house. And Zion, if you're listening now, please listen carefully. Zion was around our house the other day, and, and he was really quite taken by Jacob's Lego. Jacob, over the years of his life, has collected quite a collection of Lego. Uh, and uh, Lego works because it can be built together into something. Zion wouldn't have been excited if he saw a brick in the kitchen, and then another brick in the bathroom, and another brick on the balcony. That, that would have been no good to him, would he? He couldn't have, but when there was a big box of bricks together, he could put them together, and he built this amazing dragon thing. It was quite fantastic. But he couldn't unless the bricks were together. And if you think that by being a Christian, it's okay, you stay in your room, and you stay in your dorm, and you stay over there, and you stay out by yourselves, and, and it's okay, because God can bless you where you are. You've got it wrong. Because what this passage is telling us is we need to be together, to be built together. The church is a building of God's people together. It's not an individual doing their own thing. And that's what the world wants to sell you. You're individualistic. No one understands you. It's just right to be by yourself and just sit there and meditate and make things happen. No. We need community together. another Big problem is this idea of self building. You see, rather than the church being built on the chief cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ at the center, rather than being built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, self building happens. Now, when when Jacob first got his Lego, and I don't know if you've had the, the benefit of Lego, but it's great stuff. I, I think Jacob got a lot of Lego because his dad liked it. And that's possibly part of the problem. But he, Lego, and it, it comes as a set. And in the set, there is a manual. And, and you get the, the, the manual out. And, and when you follow the manual, when you follow those steps, you can build amazing things. But if you just have the bricks and you don't follow the instructions, you don't make amazing things. You put them in the wrong place. And and sometimes Jacob and I have tried to make amazing things following the instructions and we've missed the part. We've missed the the, the centerpiece. And so we've got it and it looks like it and Jacob touches it and it all falls to pieces. Why? Because the foundation, the centerpiece is not there. Can you imagine a building going up and, and the brick saying, wait, we don't want this foundation. Everything can be built on me. I am going to be the foundation. We would laugh at that, wouldn't we? We realize that is just sheer folly. But around the world, that is what is happening. The bricks of the church are saying, we are more important than Christ and Christ crucified. We are more important than the teaching of God's word. We know better. And friends, there's a frightening fact that around this land, Cyprus, there are ancient churches with baptistries, and ancient churches with records of some amazing godly prayers. And now they're just rubble. And the chief cornerstone and the foundation of God's word is no longer there. At some stage, people thought that they knew better And we see it happening around and about us now. Multimedia and snappy talks and sound and light shows have replaced the preaching of the word. And, And music and entertainment have pushed out true worship from the heart. And offensive things are taken out of the message. Someone did a survey and realized, well, actually, when you mention hell and when you mention sin and when you mention things like that, people don't like it. So people to come to church, let's not talk about those things. Let's talk about love and happiness. And yes, God's word has got love and happiness in it. But we need to hear about the sin and the hell as well. And so many places, activities have replaced prayer. Prayer doesn't seem to work, but let, let, let's do something else instead. And, and money-making events have replaced faith. In, in England, there's some of these old church buildings. And I'm sure in times there were places of great faith because great money was invested to build those buildings. And now they've got a problem. The, the roof is falling down and they need to build a new roof. And so what do they do? Oh, on Mondays we're going to run a bingo evening. And on Tuesdays we'll have a prize draw. And on Thursday we'll do a car wash. And we will earn this money. Where is the faith of the church gone? Money-making events replace faith. User-friendly has replaced Christ-centered. And people now have been promised earthly blessings rather than eternal hope and that's because of self-building Christ and his word are being pushed out don't get me wrong as a church we need to continually be reforming and changing we need to ask the Lord to lead us in the best way of communicating but it has to be God's way and not ours How do the bricks know what is best for the building? And then very quickly, just to sort of summarize and bring it up and close it together, there's fake bricks, but there are real bricks. And in verse 22, we see this real bricks. It's not a church that's about you, it's about God. And he's building this church for his pleasure. And it's his pleasure for us to be part of it. And it's our pleasure to be in it. But we've got to be careful because in this day and age, the bricks have become selfish and individualistic and people have become more important than Christ. And that's why the church is in such a mess. And so if we are to be a true brick, if we are to be the true church, we need to make sure that we're truly saved. We need to make sure that Christ is the cornerstone. and we need to make sure that we're holding fast to his word. Amen. Almighty God, as we've heard you speak to us from your word, we pray, oh Lord God, that each and every one here would truly be part of your church through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there are any here who do not yet know you or any online who do not yet know you as their Lord and Savior, May today be the day when you show them their great need and they call upon your name. And Heavenly Father, as we've become your true church, as we've been truly saved and we're in the Lord Jesus Christ, help us, O Lord God, to cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. May he be the chief cornerstone. And may the foundation that grows up from that be your word. And may we, O Lord God, be put together as your bricks to form a church that brings glory to your great and holy name now and forevermore. Amen.